Revelation chapter 2. We'll be in verse 8. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And this is the church at Smyrna. Now, I was going to let you know, we're, we're, we're not going to study the whole book of Revelation, okay? We're going to go through the church age, maybe just a couple of, of uh, chapters into that and maybe towards the end of Revelation because the tribulation, we've studied that before. It's interesting, all the things that will take place for the Jews to drive the Jews to Christ, uh, the seal judgments, the bowl judgments, all of those judgments. We, we're not... At this time, I'm not planning on covering that, but I do want to cover the churches in the seven church ages. And to the church at Smyrna, right, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, these are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. The slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not and are of the synagogue of Satan. So we, that's what we looked at last week, kind of that first part right there. And Jesus says, uh, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful even unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And uh, just a real quick review, I just want to remind you, Smyrna uh, is a very rich community, okay? It's a very rich community. It's a, it's a big area of commerce. It's not too far from Ephesus. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, shrines set up for different gods. Uh, it's a beautiful city. It's a big city. Uh, it's a very wealthy city, but when you see the church, it says that I, I know that you're in poverty. And we talked about what that means. Literally, they didn't have the necessities of life. So that's the church at Smyrna. Christ uh, describes himself, he describes himself as the first and the last who died and came to life. And Jesus said, uh, the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, says, I'm the first, I'm the last, and beside me there is no God. And that's Isaiah 44, 6. And then he, he gives a commendation to the church at Smyrna. And we, we looked at all of this last week. That's why I'm moving real quickly through it. We looked at the tribulation and we looked at what that means. That's the affliction or suffering or pain, that crushing of, of a stone. I was listening this week to David Jeremiah uh, on the way home from work. And uh, he said, uh, let me tell you what tribulation means. Well, I was all ready for that stone crushing uh, laying on someone's chest, and he didn't go that direction. And I, I wanted to call up and say, you're wrong, but of course I wouldn't do that. But uh, here's what he, he said, tribulation is like a big stone that they would use in a, as a grinding wheel, and they would, they would have a, a, a flat stone and a large stone, and the pressure would grind up the grain, which is the exact same thing, but it's just another way to think about tribulation, that pressure from every side, that crushing pressure. Uh, and we talked about how the, uh, the Romans had used that uh, as a death sentence, you know, laying that crushing stone on someone's chest. But, so he says, you're going to have this crushing pressure from all sides uh, to this church. And then he talked about their poverty. Uh, he says in James 2, 5, Listen, my dear brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? And theirs is the kingdom, and heirs to the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. So uh, he talks about their poverty, then he talks about the slander. 
he says there in Romans 2, for no, for no one is Jew who merely has outward nor circumcised nor outward physically, but a Jew is someone inwardly, the circumcision of the hearts are the things that matters and not by the spirit of the law. And of course, those that were persecuting said they were Jews. Uh, and of Christ, they said they were cannibals. They said they had these orgies, that they had uh, splitting up families and tampering with the family unit. All of those accusations, all of those slanders against this church. Uh, and so he goes through that and describes all that they're, they're facing. And then he has condem condemnations. And, and I said this last week, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia are only two churches that Jesus had no word of condemnation for. In other words, they were doing everything right. They were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. Uh, so that brings us to where we're going to start today. And, uh, and why is the church facing tribulation? Uh, or why are they experiencing tribulation? And I'm talking about this church in Smyrna and why they're facing this tribulation. We had a, uh, we had a, a piano player at our church. Now, we have some great musicians here. Amen. And I love piano music. This guy worked for, what's a big piano company? Uh, big famous, is Baldwin, I guess? Steinway. Maybe Steinway, I don't know. But he worked for them. And, uh, and he, played, uh, he played the piano for them. And, I mean, he sold pianos too, I guess. It, it was a lucrative job, evidently. I didn't know piano sales would that be that great. But So uh, we had him... One Sunday night, he brought a big piano from here to that thing over there with the big leaning top on it, you know. He was going to do a concert. The funny thing we used to laugh about him is while he was playing, he would just look at everybody like, mm. you know, like he was mad at the world, you know. Everybody like, whoa, what's, what's up with that, you know. And boy, he'd just be going all over that thing, looking at it, mad at everybody and playing, you know. And, and, uh, and, he could play. I didn't know what he was playing half the time, but he was playing a bunch of it. It, taught, it made me that story that Jerry Clare told about that classical pianist that went to that school and and uh, Miss Minnie Lee Stone, you know, after he left, she said, what did y'all think? And one little girl said, well, I, as he played, I, I seen this deer drinking by this bubbling brook. And another one said, well, I saw the, the water slowly pouring over the dam and running down these rocks and and he said, Marcel, what would you hear? And he said, well, I didn't see any of that stuff, but I heard the dam break. <laughs> you know, and uh, that's kind of the way I felt. Boy, he was getting, I heard the dam break. But So why would I tell you this whole story? The reason being is the church is experiencing tribulation at Smyrna. Now, Jesus is testing their faith, okay? Now, Jesus doesn't tempt us. But the answer is a result of their faith, they're facing, they're facing tribulation as a result of their faith. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about this guy. He, uh, he, he lost his job. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't, was, there was no kind of foul play or anything. They just said, hey, we're closing down this factory or we're closing down this office. We're moving everything up on the East Coast and... Uh, as a result, you know, you're going to be out of a job unless you want to move to the East Coast or whatever. It, it's a long, long ordeal thing. How I know all this, I was on staff with him, okay? Well, he quit the church. 
He, he said, I, I've, I've tried to serve the Lord. I've tried to do right. I've, I've led the music. I've been faithful to God, and, and God's given up on me. Well, I want you to think about that. We think that sometimes, don't we? When we have tribulations, when we have difficulties, so many times we say, well, God, I've tried to do all these things, and you've turned your back on me. And we quit on God. And I think a lot of people do that. So when we see this ideal of the church experiencing tribulation as a result of their faith, we may question that. We may question why that would happen. Sometimes we create all kinds of pressure on ourselves because of some own ungodly decision that we make. We make that, that decision. We have some kind of action. And because of that, we end up with all of this pressure. But that's not the case with this church. This church is, is just the opposite. There, there are people that are living godly lives. They remain faithful to Jesus Christ, even though they're facing all this tribulation and, and so, so the Bible makes it clear that, that they were constantly faithful followers of Jesus Christ. They, they hadn't fallen away, but the Bible also says as Christians, we might as well expect that. Okay, now, I don't want you to turn this off today because there's a reason that Jesus teaches us these lessons, especially there in the church age. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you are of this world, in other words, if you're, if you're just a part of the world, thought process, if you're just kind of a part of the world's worldview, you might say, the world would love you and it accept you as its own. So if you look like the world, if you act like the world, the, the world's going to love you and they're going to say, well, we welcome home. We, we love you just like you are. But Jesus says this, but because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you and I have called you out of this world. Therefore, the world hates you. Now, that's what Jesus taught. John said this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because Jesus said, if you're not of the world, the world's going to hate you. Paul said to Timothy, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. If you're a Christian and you don't look like the world, the world hates you. And that's more today than we've ever seen. There's more. I, I was listening to that same uh, message I was listening to. I just catch bits and pieces, you know, five or ten minutes here and there. He talked about how the world hates Christians, and he gave some statistics on just from 2022, the difference I've how Christians have been persecuted. Now, he used the whole world, but it has just increased over and over and over and over. And we did that a few weeks ago here also. And then John, in 1 John 3.13, he, he ends up asking this question, who will Jesus deliver or when will Jesus deliver his people from this tribulation? So if we're honest, that's, where, that's, that's what we... That's what we want, don't we? I mean, we want, we want Jesus to say to the church, hey, you're my church. You're not going to have any tribulation. I'm going to come rescue you. I'm going to punish those people. I'm going to, I'm going to thump them on the head and knock them down. And, and you're going to live this life of a rose garden and, and everything's going to be wonderful while you're on this earth. And, and you're not going to have any trials. You're not going to have any tests. You're not going to have any tribulation. But what Jesus said is this, it's going to get worse. 
He looked at the church and he said, hey, it's going to get worse. That's essentially what Jesus is saying in verse 10 of, of, of Revelation chapter 2. He says, church, it's going to get worse. As bad as it is right now, it's going to get worse for some of the followers in this church. And, and he describes that. He said, you're going to be thrown into prison. They're going to be facing the, uh, this, this testing for 10 days of tribulation. And, and they may even face death at some point. So Jesus had his followers and he gave them a, a similar warning in Matthew. He said, they will deliver you up to tribulation, they'll put some of you to death and you will be hated by every nation for my sake. Jesus is talking to his followers in Matthew chapter 24 and he says, hey, you're going to go through some tribulation, some of you even to the point of death. You're going to be hated by all nations because of who I am. Now this, I just want to take a, a little detour for just a second. This 10 days, what does it represent there in Revelation? The answer is we don't know. Okay, the Bible just doesn't give enough information about the ten days, uh, and 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 what that what that stands for, what it means, or if it's literally a ten day sentence, what it means. But here's one thing: it does mean. It means that Jesus Christ can control that. Okay, and it also means that this tribulation has a point that it's going to end. If we don't get anything else from that, realize that he says, hey, for 10 days, whatever that represents, it's going to stop. So, so wherever we are spiritually, we can understand whatever test we're going through. We can't say, well, that was day one. This is day two. I got eight more days to go. But we can understand that Christ says, hey, there's going to come a time that the tribulation is going to stop. So to us as a church, and I've asked you several times to think about spiritually where you are uh, in these seven different ages. Uh, and so if you're living through those tough times, you got a tribulation. Now listen, if you can't make your car payment, you're not in tribulation. All right. You just didn't save no money or you bought too much of a car. Uh, you know, if you uh, if you're having a problem with uh, with your boss at work, you're not going through tribulation. All right. We, we get that mixed up sometimes and say, boy, I'm in I'm having all this tribulation. A lot of that's just our bad decisions. And we end up because of our bad decisions, uh, we end up being in some kind of some kind of situation. But but. The, the, the tribulation, the church, it says you're going to go through tribulation. So what's the purpose? What's the purpose of tribulation? I think that's where we have to get. So if we understand that Jesus says the world's going to hate us, that we're going to go through some tribulation, it's going to be a limited time. Do I think the church is going to be here during the great tribulation? Absolutely not. I believe the Bible teaches that. A truth that we don't have to guess about. The Bible says we will be spared from those days. The Bible says the church age will end and following that tribulation. So this isn't talking about the tribulation or revelation. It's talking about a tribulation that we go through right now and the church will go through as our world gets worse and worse. But what's the purpose of tribulation? And the answer is to prove the genuineness of their faith. Are they, do they have a genuine faith? So that's the reason for tribulation. Have y'all ever watched any of these little clips on, on, uh, like there'll be a, a family at a park and there's a guy that comes and, and sits down with the mother and says, do you think your child would go with me? Have y'all seen any of that? And nearly every one of them, the mother say, there is no way you'll get my child to go with you. And he'll say, do you mind if I try? I'll, right here in front of you. No, I don't mind. I was watching one of these the other day and, uh, this lady said, matter of fact, we just talked about never go with strangers. This little old guy looked like he's probably three or four or five years old. You know, he was, he was in a 
a playground and, and he was he had had a steering wheel up there and he was driving and that this man just walked up and said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm driving a fire truck." And the little boy said, "Do you like the little the man said, "Do you like fire trucks?" And he said, "Yes." He said, "Do you want to drive a fire truck one day?" He said, "Yes." And and then he said, "Well, do you like some candy?" He said, "Yes." He said, "You like ice cream?" He said, "Yes." He said, well, I talked to your mom, and she said, it's all right if you come look at my fire truck, and we'll get some candy. And boy, he zipped down there and reached up and took that guy's hand, and that guy was saying, we're going to have so much fun. Of course, the mom just melted over there. She said, there's no way. I mean, in a matter of just seconds, all of this thing that she thought her son understood, all those things she had taught, when he was tested in a matter of seconds, he said, okay. That shiny stuff looks good. That looks fun. I think I'll just go with this guy. And, and I've seen that several times, and, and I've only seen one or two times that the child actually ran to the parents and, and, and got away from them. And I bet you most of them are saying, yeah, that'd be my kid. <laughs> well, you don't want them to be tested because you're scared of what might happen. The purpose of tribulation is to test Christians. It's to say, hey, do you like fire trucks? Do you like candy and ice cream? And, and we say, well, sure. I, don't, I like it better than tribulation. And when the world comes to us, they, they, the world wants to tempt us. The world wants to put us in tribulation. And Christ says, that's a test for my followers, to see if you have a genuine faith. And, and throughout the Old Testament, there's, there's purposes of tribulation, and they've been identified by Jesus. There's, there's times that the Jews would fall away from Christ. They'd go to, into a crushing time of tribulation. What would they do? They would turn back to God. They'd end up back under God's good graces, and, and that time of tribulation tested them to see who they really were. So Christians, when we go through that time of tribulation, we need to understand that, that it's a time of testing our faith to see if we're genuine in our faith. And then God gave them some counsel. He gives two commandments to this church at Smyrna. Here's number one. Church, listen today. Uh, he says, do not fear. Okay? Now, I, what, what does our world, and I'll say our government, use to motivate people today? Money. And fear, sickness, fear, fear of sickness, fear of poverty, fear of not having doctors, fear of not having food. That motivates people. That fear motivates people. Boy, if you can get somebody convinced that you have the answers to their fears, they're going to follow. Whatever it may be, they're going to follow. So, so Jesus says to the church, He says, hey, do not fear he tells us in Scripture, don't fear what man can do to you. So, so here's counsel for the church under tribulation. Do not fear. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. And then here's the second thing. He says, be faithful. So do not fear and be faithful. When, when we put that combination together, those two things that Jesus said to the church, they don't even have a way to provide for themselves. They don't have a way to, to, to care for their needy. They're living from day to day to day. They're being persecuted. They're being slandered. They're being, they're, they're under all kinds of tribulation, all this crushing pressure from every direction. Christ says, hey, do not fear and be faithful. Those two 
commandments, they're kind of related. They're clear. They're easy to understand, but they're certainly not easy to put into practice once we begin to think about them. So Jesus gives this description of himself at the beginning. He says, I know what you're going through because I've already experienced the same thing myself. See, we forget that sometimes. We start looking at ourselves and, and say, oh, woe is me, and I've got this tribulation, and I'm going through all these things, and God has forgotten me, and I'm praying, and it doesn't get any higher than the ceiling, and, and where are my prayers going? And, and Jesus says, wait a minute, I understand because I've been there. I've suffered everything just like you suffered. I've been through every temptation just as you've been through every temptation. So Jesus says, don't be fearful. I know what you're going through. I've been there through myself. Listen to what Hebrews says. It says, consider him who had endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Who's that talking about? The writer says of Hebrews says, consider him who endured hostility from sinners against himself. So so these hostile people came against who? Jesus Christ. So a lot of people think Paul wrote Hebrews, so we're not going to argue that point or anything today, but, but I'm going to say Paul says, think about Jesus Christ. He dealt with those things. And when you think about them, listen to what Paul said, or listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. So what basically Christ is saying, hey, don't fear, I've been there. And when you, when you start feeling the crushing of the world, consider me, I, I've been there. And don't faint, don't get weary, don't, don't, don't go faint-hearted because I've been there. And, and he says, I've conquered the world. That's who Jesus Christ is. So because Jesus is the first and the last, he, he firmly has control of everything that's going on today. Let me remind you, folks, and I have to remind myself nearly every day, that Jesus Christ, God our Father, He's still in control of this world. He hadn't lost control. We can look around and say our world is going to hell in a handbasket, and it is. And we can say, man, what are people thinking? What are people doing? What's our, what's our elected officials doing today? They're leading us in the wrong direction. Remember, they're lost. Okay, they're of the world, and they're, they're leading the world in the wrong direction, but we need to understand God is still in control. He's still going to take care of His promises, and He says to us as a church, don't be fearful of what the world can do. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do, Luke 12, 4. He says, don't be fearful of the world because, hey, the world can't do anything to us because Jesus Christ says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the first one that's died and come back to life. So even in the midst of tribulation, he says, some of those at this church may even go to the point of death. That church of Smyrna, he says, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're, they're, they may be led to death, but you know what? Jesus Christ already experienced death, didn't he? He said, I overcame death. I overcame the world even to the, and the point of death. So do not fear because Jesus is control of, of their eternal destiny. He told the church, hey, I've got it. I've got this. I'm in control of your eternal destiny. We think about eternity. We think about that, that, that being so long. And, and we think about our days on earth. And, and James says this, our days on earth is just a breath. It's just a breath. But we have an eternity that waits before us. So we need to understand that Jesus says, hey, I'm, con I'm in control of this eternal destiny, church. Now remember, that's for those who've accepted Him as a personal Savior. And here's the last thing this morning. Here's the challenge. Jesus offers a challenge 
uh, to the church. He makes two promises to remain faithful, even in the face of tribulation. Those two promises, if they keep those, he says this, you'll receive a crown of life. He tells them, I will give you the crown of life. James made... Uh, earlier made this same same point in, in James chapter 112. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. You know what that is? That's the same word. The man who remains steadfast under pressure, under tribulation, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive a crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. In the Greek, there's two different words for that, that crown. Here, here's a word that used as victor's crown. It's like that laurel wreath that, that's given to winner, winner, winners, <laughs> winners in, in ancient times, you know, that, that, that victor's crown. He says, hey, remain faithful, and, and I've got a crown of life for you. You're going to receive a, a victor's crown. You're going to have, you're going to have victory. We sing this song and I wish we'd sing it this, uh, had sung it this morning. What's that song that says faith is the victory? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. See, when Christ looks at the church in Smyrna, he says, I know you're enduring all these things, but here's my challenge. Faith is the victory that's going to overcome this world and I have a victor's crown that I want to give to you. The, the underlying Greek term here is, is a crown of life, is, is a crown consisting of life. That's what that word really means, a crown consisting of life. And Jesus says, even though you may die physically, I have a crown of consisting of life, eternal life that I want to offer you. And here's the last thing. Those who overcome will not be hurt by the second death. Now, what does that mean? This is where we're closing. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus uses this double negative here, and, and he, he can do that because he's Jesus, number one. Okay, I can do it because I don't know the rules. But, but in Greek, not like English, that provides emphasis. So, so Jesus did this in effect. He's saying something like this. The one who conquers will absolutely, positively never be hurt in any way by the second death. Do you hear that? The one who conquers will absolutely, positively never be hurt in any way by the second death. So, so the second death, it's, it's, a, it's a term that rabbis used a lot. It would have been a term they'd have been very familiar with. It's the death of the wicked in the world, Okay. That's what the second death is. It's, it's a phrase that's used three times in Revelation and, and lay, uh, three times in the Bible and later in the book of Revelation. So we don't have to speculate about what it is. You don't have to say, well, that, Jake, that's your opinion. Because in Revelation 20, chapter 14, uh, chapter 20, verse 14, Jesus explains what the second death is. He says, the second death is the lake of fire which we will see reserved for Satan, for the false prophet, and for those who do not commit their lives to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is the ESV. This is English Standard Version, so your, your translation may read just a little bit different. So I want to read that again. The second death is the lake of fire, which is reserved for Satan the false prophet, and those who do not commit their lives to faith in Jesus Christ. It is a place of everlasting punishment and torment, separated from the presence of God. 
That's what the second death is. Did you catch this? And we don't have time to go very far into this, but you know what, what hell and the place of torment was meant for? God created that for Satan, the false prophet, and his angels. That's the only reason it was created. That, that is the, the chief person that was going to go to hell. But we need to realize that when we're given free will and we're given free choice and we choose to follow Christ or we choose to deny Christ, and, and I'm talking about if we've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins and, and to take our place on the cross and to shed His blood for us, then we've denied Jesus Christ. God says because of that, there's a place that's been made of everlasting punishment and torment away from the presence of God. That's the second death. So if you're a born-again Christian, you'll never face the second death, okay? Evie Hill, he summoned up this way. You may have heard this before. Those who are born once die twice, but those who are born twice die once. The Bible says we're all going to die someday. We are all going to die. Unless Christ comes back, and I think He could any day, then we're going to face that that truth of death. We all were born one time. If you're here today, regardless of what the world may tell you, there was a man and a woman that got together and you're born, okay? You weren't hatched. You're not a kitten, okay? You're not anything like that. You're a human being and you were born one time and you're going to die one time. But Christ says this, if you're born again that our old nature dies and is buried, and we're raised with a new nature, and we've been born again. We've been born two times, and we die once. So, so remember, those who are born once die twice, but those who are born again, who are born twice, die only once. So I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want you to give this some thought this morning. In no way did Jesus Christ want to scare us and, and make us dread tomorrow. You remember what he told us? He said, I came that you'd have life, that you'd have it more abundantly. He, he said, I came that, that you'd have blessings. God wants to bless us. God wants us to have a, a wonderful life. But you know what? It's temporary on this earth. He doesn't want us to put all our eggs in this basket and say, oh, this is a wonderful, wonderful life. As a, as a mo that movie, it's a wonderful life. It is a wonderful life. But you know what? God has something that Paul says, I reckon anything we face today will not compare with the riches that await us in Christ Jesus. Nicodemus came to Jesus. He said, what, what, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. You received a nature when you were born from your parents that received a nature from their parents that go all the way back to Adam and Eve where sin entered the world. And because of that nature, death entered the world. Separation from God entered that world. So you don't have to think about sins and if you've lived a good life or a bad life. The bottom line is you have a sinful nature. And Jesus Christ says you have to be born again. You have to put to death that sinful nature that you'd be raised in a new nature. Now, it doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. That doesn't mean that old nature and that new nature don't fight among each other, but... When we're born again, the blood of Jesus, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, covers us. When God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see an old nature. He sees a child covered.
covered with the blood of Jesus for his sins. That's to be born again. We face death one time and then eternity with God the Father. Heaven is, is beyond what we can comprehend. A new heaven, a new earth, it's beyond what we can comprehend. It's not a long church service waiting on noon, but it's, it's more than we can believe. As much as hell and a place of torment is more than we could ever imagine. Simply for those who accept that death of Jesus Christ, who take on, who say, God, I, I want you to place into my account that Jesus died in my stay, in my stead. But Father, I pray this morning as we really consider the church, we consider our world today, we consider the tribulation, that we're going to face some tribulation. We already know the world hates us. We already know we're slandered. We're, we're intolerant. We, uh, we, we're narrow-minded. We hate women. We hate government. We, we know there are all kinds of false truths that, that we see spun around today about Christianity. But Father, I pray we know that's just part of enduring. Father, I pray that we would not be fearful. We'd be faithful, obedient. And Father, we'd know that there's a crown of life, a victory's crown awaiting us. Lord, I pray this morning your spirit would move within our hearts. I pray today, if we've never accepted you, because of the wooing of the Holy Spirit, we'd make that decision and today say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Even if none go with me, I'm still going to follow Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray as we have this time of invitation, your spirit would move freely within the heart of your people, Father. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.